and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Okay, well, hi folks. I'm joining you here from my balcony. Uh, which I thought would just be a nice background to look at while I'm talking. So if you're one of those people like me who needs something other than a person to look at, um, then feast your eyes on this. It's all good. But um, no, seriously, really good to be with you this evening. Um, Evening crew, this one's specially for you. Uh, I'm going to be giving this talk live on Sunday morning, but I just wanted to do something separate, uh, something different for you guys. It's been too long since uh, we've been able to be together and um, certainly looking forward to when we can do that. Um, I've so enjoyed the series that we've done over the last, I guess, month or so, a bit more than a month. Um, so I just want to say huge shout out to Adam Smythe in putting that series together. Um, just really good job, guys, all of you who spoke. And it was lovely, wasn't it, to hear Putty sharing last Sunday. Um, I'm also really excited about being uh, part of the home gatherings that are coming up next month. Um, so if you, you've probably seen that email from Chris and Jen, um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll just be able to see some of your faces at, at a home gathering. Uh, Bonnie and I are just thrilled about that. So um, looking forward to that. Um, it's, it's very weird. I know you're probably tired of hearing people saying this, but it's very weird to be standing in front of a, a phone. Uh, it feels when we're speaking online, it feels very much like a one-way conversation. Uh, I don't get to see all your wonderful, uh, uh, I was going to say nodding faces, maybe sleeping faces or um, just, you know, the body language or just the occasional nod or smile that we get sometimes when we're speaking. Uh, It can feel very much just like a one-way conversation, but bear with me. We'll see how how it goes. You know, over the next um, uh, two months or so, we're going to be looking at a new series on the life and the person of Paul. And we're doing that um, for a couple of reasons. One is that Paul is such an influential person in our faith. Um, he, he's written so much of the New Testament and so much of the, of the scriptures that really define what we believe and our doctrine. Um, and it actually shapes a lot of what we believe about God. But one of the things we have to be careful not to do is detach his life and his story from his writings. Um, That can be a little bit like having a one-way conversation. Um, Real communication is a a two-way dialogue. And for us to really understand what Paul is saying, it's really helpful for us to uh, connect his story to some of those things that he's written. So, you know, when we meet Paul, he, uh, which we're going to look at a bit today, when we meet Paul, he is a man who was profoundly lost. You know, he... He has this religious anger in him um, and he has this such hatred and murder in his heart towards these people who dare uh, to blaspheme God in his mind and call themselves Christians. And, um, you know, when we when we meet him, we discover that this profound encounter he has with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus restores and rescues him and repurposes his life. And, you know, as a church, we never want to forget what it was like to be lost and to be found. 
And that, that's something of Paul's story that we want to connect with as we look at his life. You know, over last week, I really enjoyed listening to um, Esther talking about that experience of coming to Northridge and feeling like she'd just come home. And she even mentioned it. You know, that's certainly the story that Bonnie and I have as well. And as a church, we want, like Paul, to be passionate about calling people home, uh, not just to a church, but to Jesus himself. And that's something that he was passionate about. And it's something that we want to be passionate about as a church. So today we're going to begin looking at Paul's story and particularly, like I said, this encounter, uh, this pivotal moment in his journey with Jesus. Now, um, we're not going to read long parts of scripture, but it would be really helpful to have a couple of passages open as we go through this. And one of them is from Acts 9. Um, You may be familiar with it. It tells the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. But the other one is from Philippians chapter 3. So you might want to have both of those passages open as we go through this. So firstly, who is Paul? Or rather, who is Saul? Because when we meet him, that's the name he has. And if we look at Philippians 3, we read a bit about what he tells us about his life before he met Christ. Saul was born in Tarsus, which is today part of modern Turkey, but he was brought up in Jerusalem. And we're told he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is important. We'll come back to that a bit later. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, which you might kind of go, oh, it's just another way of saying he's a Jew. But actually, it's kind of like saying he was a genuine Jew. He wasn't just a Greek Jew. He was actually a Hebrew Jew. And more than that, his parents were Hebrew Jews. So it's a a way of saying he was a good Jew, a conservative or traditional Jew. And, um, you know, when we meet Saul, he is a career rabbi. He is uh, working his way up. He's got this um, bright future ahead of him. And our first glimpse of him is is a pretty horrific example where he's standing and he's holding the coats of the men who stone uh, Stephen, one of the early Christians. And so he's right there in the midst of persecuting um, uh, these Christians all for the sake of religious purity to Judaism. He is a student of uh, a guy called Gamaliel, who, according to, tra- to tradition, was one of the uh, greatest teachers um, in the history of Judaism. So, like I say, he's a bright star. He's going places. And then uh, something happens. And as we look at Acts 9, we discover a profound and powerful uh, moment in Paul's, Saul's life. Saul is, we're told, persecuting uh, this new Jewish sect because at this stage, really, uh, they weren't called Christians yet. They were still considered uh, Jews, but they had some very dangerous ideas in Saul's mind. And, uh, and they were called the way. And he is, he's going around making a name for himself and causing a lot of fear in the uh, new Christians in Jerusalem. And so he goes and gets authority to arrest uh, members of the way that he hears about in um, nearby Damascus. Now, Damascus is actually not that near. Uh, For him, it probably would have taken two weeks to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus. It's quite a long way. So he's traveling. And as he's nearing Damascus, he's nearly finished. He's been on the road for nearly two weeks. 
he suddenly uh, sees a light. It says a light flashes around him and he hears a voice. And it's so powerful, it, it effectively throws him to the ground. And he is blinded by, by this um, bright light and humbled by this voice which says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says to the voice, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, the other men with him, they don't hear the sound. Um, sorry, they, they, hear, they, they don't see anyone, but they hear the sound. And Saul, like I say, is blinded by the light and gets up, but he can't see. And he has to be led by the hand into Damascus. So that last bit of the journey, he travels completely blind. And immediately he begins to fast, which is quite interesting. And then at the end of that account, we hear that Jesus actually uh, goes and speaks. He comes and speaks to Ananias, who's a disciple living in Damascus, who's heard that Saul was on his way and was probably filled with fear. Um, and Jesus says, go and Ananias, you've got to go and uh, pray for this, new, for this uh, newly transformed Saul. But Ananias doesn't really know that. And he goes and prays for him for healing and to receive the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we you know, read that, as we think about that passage, Saul has this powerful encounter with Jesus, with the risen Lord Jesus. And it changes his life, his whole direction of his life. When I was um, about 12, maybe 13 years old, I think it could be 13 or 14, I can't remember exactly. I uh, went along for the first time to a gathering, um, a Soul Survivor gathering in the UK. Um, many of you know Soul Survivor. And I had grown up in a Christian family. I'd always known that God loved me. And I'd made a, a choice to follow Jesus when I was quite young, about eight years old. But I remember very distinctly the very first time in a time of worship and prayer, I experienced Jesus in a way um, well, probably I would say for the first time. I knew about him and I had actually chosen to follow him, but I, I experienced him. And it, the experience was like an overwhelming sense of love, over, overwhelming sense of power as I received prayer in that time of worship. Um, and I knew that God was touching me. Uh, physically, I could feel it. Emotionally, I can feel it. it. It touched every part of my life. Um, every part of my being is probably a better way of saying it. And it changed the way that I then went on to experience God. Because after that, every time I picked up the Bible, the words would jump out at me in a different way. Um, they would, well, they would jump out at me. They didn't do that before. Um, when I met people, I wanted to tell them about Jesus. I hadn't really wanted to do that before. And I knew that my life was ruined. <laughs> I knew that God had taken hold of me and things wouldn't be the same again. I experienced God and he changed the direction of my life. Uh, someone I love reading is a guy called A.W. Tozer and he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things also about Paul's encounter with Jesus is just how intimate it is. I, I love those little details that Luke tells us in Acts, how the men with him, 
they didn't see anything. Only Saul sees the risen Jesus. And, uh, you know, they hear a sound, but they don't really know what's going on. And there is a very intimate, uh, although very confronting encounter that Saul has with the risen Jesus. A bit later um, in his life, he would write in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and his resurrection power. We're going to look at that passage a bit more later. But the word he uses for knowing there is really interesting because it's, it's not just knowing something up here. It's, it's actually knowing absolutely in a, in a great variety of ways with profound implications. When we, when we look at the way that that Greek word is used through the New Testament, it's used uh, to mean being intimately aware of something. So we would we all read actually in the Gospels that Joseph wasn't uh, knowing Mary. It's the same word until Jesus is born. So it's it's talking about an intimate knowledge of each other, and and in other places it means uh, to understand or perceive completely. So Jesus, we we read Jesus knew in their hearts what they were thinking. So Jesus has this perception um, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this word, when, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, it speaks about a desire for an intimate knowledge of God. And that is birthed in him, I think, in this very first encounter with Jesus. Paul tastes something of the intimate relationship that Christ brings. And he's like, I want that. From now on, I want that. You know, I, and I relate to that. I, I so do. I remember after I experienced God for that first time and I started to learn about how much there was of Jesus to get to know. I remember coming back um, to my school where I, I was at boarding school and so most of my Christian fellowship there was there and I remember coming to the chaplain, the guy who was kind of responsible for much of what we did there and saying to him like when do we get to experience together this amazing love and power of Jesus. And, and he pulled me aside and he said to me, you know, Rob, um, this Christian group that you're a part of, it's meant to be like a shop window into the Christian faith. So people can come and they can see what Christianity is about. And I just kind of arrogantly said to him, when do we get to go into the shop? You know, like, when do we get to experience these things? Because I, there was a, there was a, frustration and a passion in me uh, which kind of has been there ever since that we that everyone would get to experience Jesus in the way that I got to experience him and um, you know I think the question that comes to my mind as we think about this is are we hungry are we longing are we expectant for those intimate encounters with Jesus you know, do we, well, like Paul, he says, I want to know Christ, like in a great absolute variety of ways, uh, in different applications with tons of implications. Like, do we want the fullness of knowing Christ? Is that in us? And are we hungry for, us, for it? And if that's, if that, if you know, you know, that's faded because it does sometimes. Um, and particularly, I think over the time that we've had with COVID, it can really do that. 
then we need to ask the Lord, Lord, stir it up in us. Stir it up. Give us a longing again. One of the um, verses that I've been reflecting on over the last few weeks as we have um, been kind of holding on for the end of uh, restrictions and as we've been looking to the future and thinking about this last year or two is, is this in Proverbs thirteen twelve. It says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I don't know about you, but... You know, I've been reading that and thinking, gosh, this last 18 months or so with COVID, it's kind of felt like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Like we get excited about maybe more freedoms or being able to kind of do things that we haven't been able to do both personally, but also as a church. You know, there's so many things that we've dreamed of being able to to kind of explore and do together and get get our hands on. And then it's it's been delayed or it's been pushed out or you know, we've had to stop again and start again and stop again. And that actually kind of makes your heart sick after a while. It's like, oh, I'm not sure if I can take much more of this. And, uh, you know, I've been reflecting on that because when we receive the thing that we're longing for, it's so nourishing, isn't it? I don't know if there's something maybe you feel like you're like, I cannot wait to just be able to get on a plane and go somewhere. Like, you know, are I can't wait to go to the beach or whatever it is and it's just so nourishing to the soul but there is actually something deeper in that verse i think it points us to christ and it points us to the kingdom because there is a particular longing there is a particular desire that when that's fulfilled it's it truly is the tree of life And that longing is a longing for a knowledge of Christ. You see, and that tree of life, it's it's not just nourishing, it's transformational. It changes everything about us. It changed Paul, absolutely. You know, one of the fascinating things about Paul is this name that he takes on. You see, Saul was... Uh, as a good Hebrew, he was named after the first king of Israel, King Saul. King Saul was known as tall, a head height above everyone else, handsome. He was a great, you know, kind of king. Now, he didn't turn out to be a great king, but in the Jewish mindset, he was the great one. He was the great king. And on top of that, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, just like Saul. So Saul, the name Saul signifies great one. But Paul means little one. Literally, Paul in, um, in Latin and in Greek, it signifies little one. And what's really fascinating is to uh, understand that in Roman times, when people, and it was a bit odd, but sometimes that people would name their kids the same name. So there'd be Rob Giles and Rob Giles in the same name. But in order to signify which one was the younger one or the lesser one, they would add the name Paul or Paulus and the end. So it'd be like Rob Giles Paulus or Rob Paulus Giles for the little one. And I just think that tells us so much about Paul's new identity. After he meets Jesus, he's no longer the great one. He's the little one. And, uh, you know, Christ is the big one. Paul is is the little one. And this, you know, it shapes 
the whole of Paul's value system. We read this in Philippians 3, uh, verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I think the question for us is, who's the big one in our lives? You know, who's the great one? Is it us or is it Christ? Paul, Paul's life, Paul's example is one of you know, radical discipleship. And it's, it's a challenge for us. I'm just coming into land here now. But, you know, as, as we've thought back over this last 18 months, this has been a season of trial for us um, as a church, but individually, I think as members of the body of Christ, as Christians, it's been a trial for us. You know, I've always been inspired by the stories from uh, the Chinese church, particularly through the 80s and 90s. Um, and if, you, if you're interested in that, I'd encourage you to read some, some of the books there, like The Heavenly Man and others that talk about um, some of those stories. And, and there in, that, in those days, uh, for the underground church in China, during that time, they often couldn't meet together because they were afraid if they, if they um, brought too many people together, they would be uh, noticed and arrested by the authorities because they weren't allowed to. So to continue holding on to faith in that kind of environment, when you're not allowed to meet together, it takes great commitment, you know, to actively pursue Jesus, to, to read the word, to worship alone a lot of the time, to pray and to fast alone. Um, maybe, you know, for many of them, they were the only Christian in their family. And so they couldn't even do that. And for some of you, you're the only Christian in your family. And this season has been one of real trial. You know, am I going to continue holding on to Jesus, doing the things, the rhythms of worship and prayer, of reflecting on scripture, of giving that I am called to do? that I know will keep me close to Christ. Because, you know, it's, um, you can't just cruise from Sunday to Sunday. And we haven't been able to do, really, have we? It's been good to meet online, but it's not enough. And I think, I'm sure all of you will have felt that. I've certainly felt that. We've needed to go deeper and dig deeper into our faith. And I think, can I just say, I think that's been good for us, but really hard. And I just want to say, well done. Like for so many of you, you're like, I can't wait to meet together because this has been hard to do the journey alone. And, I, you know, I think as I reflect on the Chinese church through that time, that's, that's something that God sowed into them was this deep love for any fellowship that they could have and a, and a, and a hunger for the sweet presence of God. And, you know, I'm I'm really hopeful that actually that is something that God's been depositing in our hearts so that when we're able to, we don't just go, oh yeah, good to see each other. We go, hallelujah, praise God, we get to be together as the body of Christ, you know, and, and we get to experience the Spirit of God moving amongst us. Isn't that so sweet? And that's my prayer for us, that we would be called up to uh, a deeper level of commitment, deeper love for our Christ 
for our Lord Jesus and a deeper love and, and compassion for each other and for the world. So I just want to pray for us as uh, we finish now. And dear Jesus Christ, we ask that you would give us all of those things. This has been a trial, Lord. And as we look towards with great joy and anticipation meeting up again, I pray that the, the fruit that you have been sowing in us will come out and that we would hold on to it because it is a tree of life, Lord. And we ask that you would sharpen, you would encourage, you would um, give us new passion, you would bring out of us the best things of the kingdom that you long to bring and that we would be an offering in your hands. Lord, for us, where we know that we have, we've been the great one in our lives, Lord, we, we say we're sorry. Come and be our master. We submit to you because we know that that's where true joy is found. And today, Lord, we ask for your spirit to help us to do all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.